Hey, if you have your Bible or you have a device, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 30. That's Psalm uh, 30. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And as you find it, I'm going to go ahead and pray uh, for just this uh, moment of time that we have together. Uh, Lord Jesus, you're so good. Uh, your word is so good. Open it, reveal it to us through your spirit. Father, I have nothing to say if you don't speak. And so would you uh, just speak through me? I'm available to be used by you. And so take these words and allow them to penetrate uh, to our hearts, Lord. Uh, let your spirit do that work. Uh, in my faulty words, Father, make them your words. Um, we trust you and you alone. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're here to hear from you. We're here to worship you. So take this time and use it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Uh, and the question is this. Has God been good to you? Yes. Yeah, so we got one person. Uh, he, so I'm going to say that again with some crowd participation, okay? So let's, like answers, I mean, if, if you don't, maybe some of us have had to work through some disappointments, but when we look over the, the history of our lives, can we say that God has been good to us? So has God been good to you? Yeah. I mean, for some of us, like we, we really have to work through a few things to, to get to the point where we can say, you know, God has been good. But if we can say that God's been good, I would say then that every day that we wake up, every day that we wake up and we've got breath in our lungs, that is a good day for us to open up our mouth and speak of the goodness of that God. Every day is a good day for us to tell the story of God's goodness in our lives. Every day then is a new day to tell your story. Uh, we're looking at Psalm, uh, Psalm, or we're looking at Psalm 30 this morning. And as we look at this Psalm, I want to set the context for us, okay? Um, what's happened in this particular psalm is that David, he's come through one of the darkest moments of his life. Like he has been so, so sick that he literally feels like at any moment that he could actually die. Literally feels like he could, he could, he could check out at any minute. But God, in his goodness, he comes in and he just radically does a work in David's life. He heals David. And for all intents and purposes, this is a miracle that has happened in David's life. And so when you look at Psalm 30, what happens is in, in verse 1, and then all the way down into the last verse in verse 12, David, he takes these two verses and he uses them bookends, these bookends of praise that kind of sum up the entire purpose of this psalm, which is all about praising and lifting up the reputation of God. He says in verse 1, he says, I will exalt you or I will lift you up. And then in verse 12, he says, I will give thanks to you forever. And then right there, sandwiched in between verse 1 and verse 12, these little, these little uh, buns of praise, if you, if you might say, in this little praise sandwich, David says, this is why I'm going to lift up your name above every other name that's ever been spoken. This is the reason. Because the Lord's just been so, so good to me. I'm going to lift you up because you've been so, so good to me. And because you've been so, so good to me, I'm going to tell your story. I'm going to tell my story, which in turn is actually your story. I'm going to tell my story so that all of Israel can know how good God is. And I'm going to tell the goodness of God. I'm going to tell my story so that all of the nations around me can know how good God is. And I'm going to tell this story of God's goodness so that thousands of years later, people gathered here in Ashland, sitting out in a parking lot, underneath the sun, can hear about how good God is so that they can know that regardless of whatever it is that they're going through, no matter how long it's been, no matter how dark the moment feels, 
no matter how deep the pain goes, so that they can know that God is still good. So, so that they, I'm going to tell my story so that they can know that they can lift up the reputation of God too by lifting up their voices and by retelling their stories. And as they tell their story, there might be others who can have hope because of the story that's in them as well. And so every day for us is a brand new day for us to tell the story of God's goodness in your life. Every day is a brand new day to tell your story, which in turn is his story. There just seems to be something significant, right, about listening to somebody tell their story. When somebody who's gone from literally the end of their rope, when it doesn't feel like there's anything, like they have anything left to give, they don't feel like anything good could actually come out of their life. And then as you hear their story, it just seems like they're about to tap out. Then something changes, right? As they tell their story, they say, well, there was a shift that happens in my life. There was something that took place. Something dramatically changed. And God shows up. And the whole situation changes. They were planning for death. They were planning for destruction and despair. And then God shows up with this whole truckload of hope that they didn't know what to do with. He shows up and changes the situation for them and just absolutely changes everything. I don't know. Like, just like I can't explain it. But when somebody tells their story of when God shows up for them, it somehow adds to, to the hope that we have in us. Like hope begins to build as their story is being told and they begin to get to that point where that, that shift takes place. There's something in us that says, whoa, I can identify with that. If that can happen to you, well, maybe that can happen to me too. Like how Hollywood has made just a, a fortune off of this, right? They take the comeback story. They take the rescue story. They take the underdog story. And they retell those stories, these true stories, and then they put it up on the big screen for everybody to see it, and then we pay big bucks to go see it. And what ends up happening is that we walk away encouraged, we walk away uplifted, and I would say we walk away from those stories hopeful as well. Like, who doesn't walk away from Rocky One with all full of hope that God can do it, or that, that, that anybody can rise up from the ashes, right? Who doesn't fill with hope when you see Apollo Creed go down by Rocky? Who doesn't fill up with hope? When Clever Lang goes down. Who doesn't fill up with hope when the Russian gets dropped in Rocky IV? Like, like those stories of the underdog coming through provide hope for us. We find hope. And that's what David does here. He says, I'm telling my story for a couple of reasons. I'm telling my story to praise God in my own life. And, and so as I tell this story, I just realize he's been so, so good to me. And, and, and as I retell this story about how he's been so good to me, I remember his goodness. And as I remember his goodness, it leads me to this place of worship again and again and again. And as I tell this story, I'm telling the story so that you can have hope as well, so that you can walk away with hope. And as you walk away with hope, you begin to know that you can tell your story. And as you tell your story, you remember the things that God has done. And as you remember, you fill up with worship and you fill up with even more hope. And then you pass that on to somebody else and that hope begins to build. And it goes on and on and on and on the cycle goes. And if you've experienced God's goodness, then you have a story to tell too. We talked about that last week, right? That God has blessed us to be a blessing. And, and, and in the same way, God has rescued us. And as God has rescued us, he gives us a story. And the thing is that that story is for us. His rescue is for us, but it's not just for us. It's so that we can lift up the mighty name of God, so we can lift up his reputation by lifting up our voice and telling this story of his goodness so that the hope in somebody else can build. And so that as their hope begins to build, they tell their story and it goes on and on and on. 
And so as we look at David's story here, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about where God's been good in your life. And maybe you've got to sort through some disappointment. Maybe you've got to sort through some hurt. But I want you to think about how has God been good to you? Whether you're at the beginning of the story and you're just kind of like, Man, I hope God's going to show up. I hope he's going to do something. Or you're in the middle and you're starting to see the strong arm of the Lord show up in your life. Or you're on the backside of this and you're able to look back and be like, Man, God has been so, so good to me. Because every day in your story is a good day to tell the story of God's goodness in your life. He is giving you a story and he's given it to you to tell. Psalm 130, or Psalm 30, verse 1. He says, I will extol you. The, the NIV here, it says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And you not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help and you've healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will I tell? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You've turned me, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks you forever. Lord, would you let us hear your word? Would you let us hear your word and allow your word to begin to move in us? You you tell us in your word that um, you do things. Like you, you, you can use your word. Like it doesn't return void to us. And so we're praying the Lord as we hear your word, we're encouraged by your word. And then we pray that you would speak it into us through your spirit this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. Look, look again at verse one. He says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you've drawn me up and you've not let my foes rejoice over me. Um, When he says, I want to try to explain what David's doing here, okay? And I think this is important for us, um, for how we begin to think about telling the story that God has given us. David uses this word exalt here. And the the idea, uh, he says, I will exalt you you. Um, The word exalt here is so others focused, right? It's not focused on himself. It's, It's meant to be focused on other people. It means to lift up something, to lift it up, up and out and away from yourself. It's like if I were to go into my kitchen and there was a big cookie jar there and there were delicious cookies in there and I were to put my hand inside the cookie jar, I wouldn't reach down and grab a cookie and bring it back to my own mouth, although it would be really difficult, right? Because that's what I would love to do. This, the, the idea of exalting is reaching down into the cookie jar, grabbing the cookie, lifting it up, and then instead of lifting it to my own mouth, lifting it up out and away from myself so that somebody else might have it. And that would be extremely hard for me, okay? Like I would get down and I would fight over a cookie, right? But it is lifting up away from ourselves. And here's why this is significant. Because David's king. He's king over hundreds of thousands of people. He has influence. People listen to him. They follow him. He's a leader. 
He's actually, he's their leader. And it'd be so easy for him to take his position, to look at his position as the king, and to look at his position as somebody who has come from this place of despair and brokenness and who has been lifted up where I'm no longer dying anymore, but now I have this place of hope. It would be so easy for him to look at his situation and then to take credit for everything that's happened. And be like, you know what? I'm a good king. And just trying to get a little swagger in his step. The thing like, man, I, like, I deserve all of this. Like, I've been pretty good. I've got my life all together. People look to me for leadership. People look to me. They answer to me. Because I deserve this. God's been good to me. It'd be so easy for somebody to be, who's been blessed by God, who's experienced the goodness of God, to somehow point everything back to themselves rather than to somehow point everything back towards the Lord. To reach down and instead of pointing it back to us, to lift it up and out so that he might be exalted as opposed to ourselves being exalted. Like we've seen this, right? This is a self-made man. This is a self-made woman who says, I didn't need anyone to get to the place that I'm at. Like I, like I got here by myself. And all, all the while knowing that there's no possible way they could be where they are by themselves. They get to where they are by themselves. Like they just, like they, they're standing on the shoulders of people who help them get to the place where they are. Like we've seen this, right? And what makes this so bad is that this is what gets celebrated in our culture. The self-made man, the self-made woman. I didn't need anybody to get to where I'm at. Like, like this mentality of, like, I got here by myself, this independent, like, you did your thing, but I did mine, I didn't need you. That's what we celebrate as, as a culture. And, and it's not usually the people who have helped, who are behind the scenes, that kind of get celebrated and that get the focus. All, all the while, it's those who are by, behind the scenes that make the person who's in the front they have the ability to shine. People behind the scenes don't get the focus. It's the person who takes the final shot, whether it goes in or out. It's the person who's been healed. It's, it's not the team who helped get the ball to the person to get them in the right position to take the final shot. It's not the team of doctors who did everything they could to keep that person alive so that there could be a healing that would take place. What gets celebrated is usually the person who says, I did it all by myself. And when that's what gets celebrated, it's hard not to point the light back to ourselves. It's hard not to be the star of our own story when that's what gets celebrated. I, I know that is for me. Anything, anytime anything good happens in my house or if I, I, I do something, my, my, the first thing I do is like, Ashley, did you see that? Like, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Like, kids, did you see what I did? Like, like, somebody pat me on the back. Somebody tell me I did a good job. Like, this is so hard for us. Like, we want, the celebra- we want to be the person who gets celebrated. But David, he doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he sets an example for all of us. He sets an example for how we're to look at God's goodness in our own broken lives. So look at, like, we're people who've done nothing to save ourselves. Like, we're totally incapable of lifting ourselves up and, and, and elevating ourselves. Like, this, we're just not capable of that. What David does is he lifts his praise up out of the cookie jar, up and away from himself, and he holds it up to God. He holds the praise up to him to whom it belongs. He says, I will exalt you. I won't exalt me, myself, and I. I won't point people to me. I'm going to point people away from myself. I'm going to point them back to you. And this is why in the rest of verse 1, for you have drawn me up and you've not let my foes rejoice over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you've healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought me up. Uh, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. See, like David was deathly sick. 
Like, he, he was so sad. Like, nobody knows what the exact uh, suffering was. Some people say it might have been something like what Hezekiah was going through and how God brought him through that. But David was on his sickbed. He was dying. His enemies were, were relishing in the fact, and they were taunting him over the fact that he was about to die and to go spend the night and to spend the rest of his life with his fathers buried out in the field. David literally felt like he was one breath away from a place called Sheol, which was the land of the dead, the place where you go to be buried. But when he felt like there was no hope left, when he felt like there wasn't a, a breath left to breathe, just in the nick of time, God shows up and he pulls him up out of this pit. He says, you drew me out. You brought me up. You restored me to life. And the word that David uses here for drawing up and this restoration that's taking place, it literally, it literally means to draw up out of the water. Like to throw a bucket down into a well and to pull water up. To throw in a line to retrieve it. And David says, because I was drowning. I was going under. I was going under for the last time. But in your goodness, you threw me a line so I wouldn't go under. When I was going down, I looked up out of the water. And when I looked up out of the water, your hand was coming down. Your strong arm was reaching me up, pulling me out, standing me on the firm ground. That's what you did for me. You saved me. You were so, so good to me. When I was about uh, eight years old, I... Uh, uh, we, we lived by a creek uh, that ran out in front of our house, and whenever it would rain, this little creek would just become this rushing uh, white water rapid, right? And, and so uh, this water would just take off, and I, I thought, you know, this seems like a pretty good day uh, after this storm had come through. I think I'm going to go fishing. And so I went out into my yard, and I found a stick that had been blown over by the storm, and I went to our shed, and I, and I got some rope, and I tied it around this stick in our yard. There was zero chance of me catching a fish that day. Zero chance. Like, this is not the equipment that you're taking to go catch a nice fish, okay? And so I, I take my little homemade fishing pole, and I go down, and there was this huge oak tree that sat on the bank of the creek. And uh, they had these huge roots that kind of went over the bank and, like, was kind of over the water. And so I went out, and I stood on these roots, and I'm, you know, casting my line, right, out into uh, this, this rapid water that's going through. Well, these roots were wet. Hey, Billy, I just saw you back there. Good to see you. I've seen you a bit. Um, sorry, squirrel brain. Yeah. Uh, but these, these, these roots were wet. Got my line in the water, and all of a sudden, my foot slipped off the roots, and I go splashing down into the water, and I literally thought that I was about to die. Like, I thought the weight, or I thought the, the rapids were going to take me away, and I was going to be gone. Nobody was going to see me ever again. I was scared to death. And I reached up and I grabbed a hold of those roots that I was standing on as fast as I could. And I was hanging on for dear life. And as I was hanging there, I started yelling for my dad. Like, Dad! Dad! Help! 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 And then all of a sudden, I looked up. And when I looked up from the water, there's a strong arm that was coming down, reaching after me, pulled me up, set me up on the bank of the little creek there. He grabbed me, set me there. He saved my life that day, right? He saved my life. And he was so, so good. To me. That's the picture that David has here. God has reached down in the darkest moment of David's life when he felt like all hope was gone, where nothing was left. God rescued him, healed him, brought him up out of the drowning waters of death and set him on safe ground. I'm guessing that there's probably some of us that have had a, a rushing creek that's come through our lives at one point or another. I'm guessing that there have been times in our lives where we've just kind of been hanging on for dear life a time or two. And, it, and you felt like, man, you were going under for the, for the last time. And, 
when you needed a mighty hand to come in and pull you up out of the water, God showed up. Maybe you asked for it, maybe you didn't ask for it, but when you needed him most, he showed up, he reached out, and he pulls you out. He was so, so good to you. Or you might be in a scenario where you're waiting for him to show up right now, right? You're waiting. You don't know how long you're going to hold on to those roots, but but you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And the story of David is starting to give you hope. You're thinking that, man, maybe I see an arm coming my direction. I want you to know that you're why David is writing this psalm. You're, you're why David is writing this, you're, you're the reason why he's telling his story right now, so that you can know that as you wait, there is a strong arm that's coming your way to draw you up out of the water and to restore life to you where there seems to be no hope whatsoever. Verse 4, David says, sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. It's almost like David is standing there and he turns around to everybody who's, who's around him as he's uh, writing this, this psalm. He turns around and says, okay, now, hey, 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 everybody listen up. Listen up real quick. Okay, I, as long as I've got everybody's eyes, I want everybody who's around me, who loves the Lord, everybody who's in the family of God, everybody who is faithful to him. I want you to know that we all have a story to tell. And we, we have this story, and it may seem tough right now, but you're not alone. Morning is going to come. Now, everybody who hears my voice, let's praise the Lord together. It's almost like he turns around and says, hey, let's all, let's all do this thing. If you're familiar with how uh, your Bible works, or if you've been versed in Scripture at all, you know that Israel has had quite the history with God up to this point, right? So sometimes... Um, Israel was faithful to God and there were times where they were just completely off the rails and they weren't faithful at all. They were actually turning after other gods. But God had told them over and over and over again, when you follow me, right? when, when you follow my plan, the plan that I've set for you when, you, when you come along with my kingdom agenda and you obey the way that I've said to live, when you obey the way that I said that you will be blessed, you're going to experience the fullness of my blessing in your life. But when you decide to live independently from me, when you decide to kind of choose your own way and to go off and do your own thing, when you decide to take the light and to shine it on you, when you become the star of the story, and I stop being the star of your story, and you start living like practical atheists, meaning like, like you, you say that you belong to me, you, you say that we're together, but all the while you live as if you don't need me. You live as like, it, it, like, like I, I don't even exist. Then, then, and only then, will I begin to move my blessing away from you. But the prophets, they also say, too, over and over again, that God's desire is always to bless. Like, discipline is a real deal. But discipline was always secondary. God's primary mode was to bless people. Like, he says over and over, like, when you scatter, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you back. When you run from me, and you're going to run from me, when you run after other gods, I'm going to run as hard as I can after you, and I'm going to try to bring you back. When you're unfaithful, I'm going to be the one who's faithful, and I'm going to remain faithful to you and try to bring you back. God's desire was always to bless, always to bless. Discipline was secondary. But here's the thing. Even though his desire is always to bless, he will not share his glory with anybody else. He'll never share his glory. He'll never share his fame. He'll never share his reputation with anyone or anything else. And because God is a jealous God for his name, for his fame, and for his people, he had to discipline Israel. He had to. He didn't have a choice. But the reason why he chose the discipline was so that they could return to him, so that they could repent and come back to him and experience the fullness 
of his blessing. So they can know this is what it looks like to live with me, to walk with me, and to, to live in my blessing. And so David says here, even in telling your story, know that God's going to use everything. He'll use everything for you to experience his blessing. And he'll even use discipline to draw us back in and to draw us up so that we might experience his blessing in and through our lives. Look at verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. How long does his anger last, he say? For a short moment. But then he says, and his favor is for a lifetime. How long is the favor? A lifetime. There's no end to that. And he says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I love the image of this uh, weeping being there for the night. But in the morning, it's, it's got to go. It's the image of an unwanted house guest, right? Anybody ever had somebody come into your house? You're like, man, I just don't want you here. But because I love people and because I'm kind enough and because maybe I didn't even have a choice, like you're here, right? Anybody had a bad house guest? If they're sitting with you right now, raise two hands. No, I'm just joking. Don't do that. I think we've all been in that scenario at some point or another. This is the bad house guest idea. Like they show up on your doorstep overnight. Like you didn't expect it. Right? It's raining outside. They're standing on your doorstep. They look like a lost puppy. Like, oh, sheesh, not you. But you don't say that out loud, right? Because you're too kind for that. And, and so you're like, okay, you can come in. You can stay. And then they start rummaging through your cabinets and start going and they start breaking things. Like, oh, why do you ever open up my door? But you make a place for them to sleep. But you are extremely clear. Listen to me. You can stay here tonight, but tomorrow you got to go. You can stay tonight, but tomorrow you're out of here. You don't get to stay here very long. Some of us, like we've had these unwanted patterns and unexpected patterns of sin in our lives that we've let stay way too long. And God is wanting to get those things out of our life so that we can experience his blessing, right? And so we can need to get to the point where we say, okay, now listen up. Listen up. You stayed too long. I've let you stay in this house long enough, but now it's time to get out. You've worn out your welcome. Sin, you got to get out of here. Some of us have unwanted and unexpected sin, but some of us also, we have unwanted and unexpected pain. That makes it really difficult for us to, to praise God on any level. We feel like we are about to go under and take our last breath for the very last time. But I, if that's you, I want you to hear David's words here and know that God's desire, right, it's for you. His desire isn't against you. His desire is, is for you, not for your destruction. His desire is to bless you. And so the hurt, the pain, the disappointment, those things that make it hard for us to praise God, and to lift our voice and to, and to uh, point towards him, those things that make it difficult, those things can stay overnight. We can give them a place for the evening. We can mourn. We can grieve. They can be there overnight. But in the morning, they've got to go. In the morning, they've got to go like a bad house guest, right? That's the hope that David has. That's the hope that we have. That's the story that we get to tell. Although it may have looked like this thing was going down and this thing was over for the last time and it was going down for the last time, morning came. Morning comes. And then God does his thing and everything changes. And you might be like, bro, like, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know how long this pain has been hanging around. You don't know what I've been walking through. You, you just don't know. Like, I've tried. It's just not going away. I've tried to be hopeful, but hope has run its course. I've waited long enough. And I know that there are times, right, when we all feel hopeless. There's not a person that's standing or sitting out here right now that hasn't had a moment in life where we felt hopeless. But I want you to know that we have tremendous reason to still hope. We have tremendous reason. 
to hang on to that, to hang on to the roots, believing that there's going to be a strong arm coming at some point. That any minute there's going to be a strong arm that comes. And why do I have such confidence in that? Because I think the inscrutability and the reality of God's love for us, it doesn't allow us to stay in a place of despair and this, and this feeling of destruction for very long because we know that joy is going to come in the morning. Even if we feel like my moment right now is never going to come. Like I've been in this pain over and over and over. And even when I think it's done, like, like it shows up. I've been in the sin pattern and it just won't go away. No matter, like, even if you feel like, like you're in this hopeless situation right now and you, and you can't believe right now that joy could ever come in the morning, I want you to know that the cross of Christ points us to hope. Even if our morning is not tomorrow, even if our morning is not three days from now, even if our morning isn't five years from now, and we're just hanging on to the roots, we're just hanging on for hope, hanging on that some arm is going to come and save us at some point, even if, like the cross of Christ gives us hope, that one, that God still loves us, and that there will be an end to the pain that we're experiencing. There will be an end to the pain of the sin that we've... Because even when Jesus sent, uh, uh, Jesus came and he went to the cross to die for us, he took away the stain of sin, he took away the penalty of sin, and he doesn't always take away the, 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 the consequence of our sin in this life, but that will be gone one day. Or the consequence of pain in this life. Some of us, like, we're so angry and we're so mad at God. We're just so, like, we just, we can't even believe that there would be a God who says he loves us that exists because we can't get over the fact that he hasn't showed up yet. But I want you to know that the cross points us to hope. It points us to a new morning. Today or tomorrow, it's going to come. And if it doesn't come in this place right now, it's going to eventually come when he comes back. So Jesus did that for us. His love for us shows us that right now. There is a morning that will come. And so if you're just struggling to hold on, man, hang on to those roots. Hang on and wait for a strong arm to show up and make its way to you. David says in verse 6 and 7, he says, guys, I was so proud of myself at times. I looked at my position. I was king. I had it all. And in my pride, I said, I'm never going to be moved. <laughs> you made my mountain strong. In other words, what he was saying is like, I live like I didn't need you. I live like a practical atheist where like I took everything that you had done for me and I acted like you didn't exist. I acted like I didn't. I acted like I got to the place where I'm at all by myself. And he said, I'll never be moved. I'll never be moved. My story was all about me. The limelight was on me. I was the star of the show. But then in verse 7, it says, you allowed me to experience what it would be like if you removed that blessing from me. If you took that equation out of it. In other words, he was saying, you let me feel what it would be like of actually doing life without you. What it would actually be like. He says, you hid your face from me. And I want you to know when he says, you hid your face from me, he's not saying that, uh, that you like, left me to be all by myself. When he's saying, you hid your face from me, what he, what he means is that David's experience of God had changed. His experience had changed because now he was choosing to live independently away from God. And, and, and when he lives independently away from God, it scares him to death, right? He's like, I don't want to ever experience anything like that again. See, any time that we try to live independently from God, the voice of God in our life is going to be quiet. Any time that we're living like we're doing everything and that we don't need to, we, when we're living like practical atheists, right? Like, I'm part of your family, but at the same time, I don't need you. Thank you for getting me here, but now I can do everything. By, like, when we live like 
independent away from him, we begin to quiet his voice. And David says, I don't want any part of that ever again. What he's starting to do is he's realizing that I'm not the star of the show. I'm not the focus of this show. God's the star. He gets all the credit. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to tell people about him. Look at verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? He's like, if I die, I can't tell your story. So let me live so I can tell your story. Do a miraculous work in me so I can tell your story. Be good to me so I can tell about your goodness. I will live like every day is a new day to tell the story of God in my life. Verse 10, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. You've turned from me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my, my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, saying I was dead, but you came and you made me alive. You took off my mourning clothes and you gave me clothes of gladness. You gave me joy again. And this is the product of that. Now that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. He said, I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to tell your story. Oh, Lord, my God, now I'm giving thanks to you forever. Every day that we have breath in our lungs is a day for us to tell the goodness of God's story in our lives. And so I'm going to ask you again, what's the story that God's writing for you? What's the story of his goodness in your life? We can tell all kinds of stories, right? We can tell fishing stories. I could tell a story about me falling into the, to the, um, the creek as I was catching a 27-pound a catfish. <laughs> I, I can tell stories about my kids. I can tell stories about ball games. I can tell all kinds of stories, and they can all be fantastic stories. But as you tell those stories, make sure you tell the story of God's goodness in your life. Make sure you talk about where you're at, what he's doing right now. Make sure you tell the story of, of what you're waiting for him to show up on. Make sure you tell the story of, of when, when you were down and out, when you had no hope left, he showed up and was moving you towards himself. You felt like you were drowning and threw your rope. Tell that story. Tell that story. Tell the story when you finally realized, I couldn't do it by myself and I needed a savior. Tell that story. Tell the story of when you were walking in your sin. And Jesus said, no, that's enough. And he showed up and he gave you life and he indwelled your life so you don't have to walk around any longer all by yourself so that when you walk into the hard things that you don't walk in alone. Tell that story. Tell the story of his goodness. And all the stories that we tell, make sure that we tell the story of his goodness. And when you tell his story, make sure it's his story. Don't point the glory back to you. Don't steal his fame. Don't steal what's due to his name. You reach down into the cookie jar, you pull out the praise, and you lift it back to him and point people to him. What's the story that God's writing? Every day is a good day to tell the story of God's goodness in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for uh, just a, a few moments together. Thanks for just the beautiful reality, Lord, that we can praise you no matter what storm we're in the middle of. Because we have a track record of your goodness. And I'm going to pray, Father, if, we, if there are folks that are here right now and they don't see a track record of your goodness, that they would just be open to allow you to open their eyes to that. And if they've never started a relationship with you, they would, they would cry out to you and say, I'm not the star of the show. You're the star of the show. And I'm going to live dependently upon you. I'm going to trust what Jesus did for me. And as I trust what Jesus did for me, I'm going to tell of his goodness. I'm going to tell of his story. That's the story I'm going to tell. And so, Father, I, 
I'm thankful that we don't have to walk alone. I'm thankful that even when we feel despair, we can still be hopeful. And we can be hopeful that it's got to go in the morning. Whenever morning will be, we can trust that you're going to show up. Thanks for the reminder in David's words, or the David's words to us through your word. Thank you for his story because his story gives me hope. If you can give hope to David, you can give hope to me. If you can give hope to him, you can give hope to all of us. And so this is about you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.